Our text this morning is Matthew chapter one. We're gonna look at verses one through 17 as we begin the gospel of Matthew. We were 59 weeks in the book of Jeremiah. What? Who was here for all 59 weeks? I was, anybody? Oh yeah, a couple of you. You're in the 59 club. Uh, There's no prize or anything, but... uh, Shows something about endurance. Maybe you were praying for patience, I don't know. But, but now we start in the Gospel of Matthew. Our topic, the Gospel of Matthew opens with the New Testament with the genealogy of Jesus, the son of Abraham, the son of David, the title of our message, Ancestry.God. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for the opportunity now to sit as your word is taught by the Holy Spirit to our hearts. Your word is alive, it's powerful, it's sharp, it divides between the soul and the spirit, it gets in where no one else can, and it shows us the love of Jesus Christ, it speaks to us about his coming for us, and our being with you forever, Lord. I pray that we would be so encouraged today by what you have to say to us, and that we would leave this place uh, overflowing with the wonder of your love. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. Genealogy searching has become so popular we might as well call it a craze. I'll bet a number of you uh, spend hours searching your genealogy. A recent survey concluded that a whopping 87% of Americans are interested in learning about their family histories. NBC aired a series called Who Do You Think You Are? in which each week a celebrity goes in search of the roots of his or her her family tree. The Bible is full of genealogies. The New Testament opens with the genealogy of Jesus. There in verse one it says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. If I had a dollar for every time I've heard someone, including myself, reference a Bible genealogy as boring, I'd be rich. But if we're interested in the genealogies of -of run-of-the-mill celebrities, wouldn't it stand to reason we'd be all the more interested in the ancestry of Jesus? What if we looked at the genealogy of Jesus Christ as if we were part of it, as if it was our genealogy too? There's a very real sense in which it is our genealogy. Matthew starts with Abraham, talking to us as Gentile believers. The apostle Paul said, and I quote, If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That's from Galatians chapter three. Christians in this church age are the spiritual descendants of Abraham. Now the genealogy of Jesus Christ doesn't just look back, it also looks forward. When Matthew next tells us that Jesus was the son of David, he doesn't only mean that Jesus came from David's line. The Jews were looking forward to one particular son of David who would establish the kingdom of God on the earth promised everywhere in the Old Testament. The genealogy looks forward to the yet future generation that will help establish the kingdom. And guess what? You and I will be part of that generation as we rule with Jesus for a thousand years. All of a sudden, this is better than logging on to Ancestry.com. I'm gonna organize my thoughts about the genealogy of Jesus Christ around two questions. Number one, do you see yourself in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham? And number two, do you see yourself in the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David? Let's take a look, first of all, at Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham, in verses one through 16. Christ is so often used in conjunction with Jesus that some people tend to think of it as his last name. Of course it isn't. 
He would have been known as Jesus bar Joseph, Jesus son of Joseph. Christ is Jesus' title. God promised the ancient Israelites that a Messiah would come to deliver them from sin. The idea of the Messiah is carried over into the New Testament with the title Christ. The Greek word Christos, from which we get the English word Christ, is the translation of the Hebrew term Mashiach, which is the source for the English word Messiah. Mashiach is related to the Hebrew verb masak, which means to anoint. Therefore, when the New Testament speaks of Jesus Christ, it is saying Jesus the Messiah, which literally means Jesus the anointed one. Now, in the Old Testament, people were anointed with oil when they were called to the offices of prophet or priest or king. In a sense, anyone in the Old Testament who was set apart and consecrated for a servant task was a kind of Messiah, for he was one who received an anointing. But the people of Israel look forward to that promised individual who is to be not merely a Messiah, but the Messiah, the one who would supremely be set apart and consecrated by God to be prophet, priest, and king all at once. At the time Jesus was born, there was a strong sense of anticipation among the Jews who had been waiting for their Messiah for centuries. There were some who claimed to be him. In order to be the Christ, you must be descended from Abraham through the kingly line of David. This is the genealogy that establishes that Jesus was and is the Christ. And so we've read it already, but let's read it again. Verse one, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. A more literal translation of this would be, this is the book of the genesis or the origin of Jesus Christ. That same wording is used in two notable passages in the book of Genesis. It is used in Genesis 2 verse 4 to refer to creation, and it is used in Genesis 5 1 to refer to Adam. A Jew would put those together and understand that the Christ came to restore the creation that was ruined by Adam's sin. Matthew is proclaiming that Jesus, the Jesus the Jewish leaders crucified and who rose from the dead three days later is in fact the Christ. He's in the line of David, he's descended from Abraham and the names that follow prove it. Now it's interesting, we know from historians, both Jewish and secular, that the Jews had incredibly precise genealogical records until the end of the first century, until Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans. Any Jew reading or hearing Matthew chapter one could easily check this out for himself. In other words, the entire New Testament begins with a genealogy which must have been 100% accurate or the Jewish leaders could and would have used it to discredit Jesus and his followers. They couldn't because it is his genealogy. He is the son of Abraham, the son of David who was promised. If you're a writer, you want your opening sentence to just floor people. Some of the world's secular novels, the world's greatest secular novels have memorable opening words. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Call me Ishmael. Some of you haven't read Moby Dick in a while. Have you ever read Moby Dick, raise your hand. Do you know who Moby Dick is? All right. It's actually that call me Ishmael is is considered the the most famous opening line in all of literature. And then there's my favorite, in a hole in the ground there lived a hobbit. (laughs) Then there's your favorite, 
in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> it's not really a movie. I think it was based on a fantastic novel, though, wasn't it? No, that's, that's a lie. You need to recognize, every now and then I lie to you so you can recognize the difference between lies and truth. But anyway, you get the idea. This opening verse of the New Testament puts all of those to shame. It is a powerhouse. It is saying in no uncertain terms that Jesus is the Christ who was promised and is prophesied to restore Israel and fulfill all the promises made to both Abraham and David, promises of a land and a forever kingdom that would bless the entire world. These are the most powerful words ever written to begin a book. And if you were a Jew, you would have to stop here and maybe think about this for a long time before you even went on. I mean, these are exciting words. Verse two, Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Now God promised Abraham that through him all the world would be blessed. The one promised in the Garden of Eden who would reverse the effects of Adam's sin on creation, he'd be born through Abraham's descendants, he would be a Jew. Although Abraham had another son, Ishmael, the Christ would descend not from him but from Isaac. Ishmael represents the efforts of the flesh to fulfill the promises of God. You remember the story, Abraham decided he was going to help God out and have a son with his handmaiden, Hagar, and God said, yeah, that's not gonna happen, that's not gonna work. You're gonna have a son of promise when you're past childbearing age, when it's impossible for you to have children, the child of promise is coming, he's Isaac. He represents the principle of grace by faith in God. Isaac's oldest son, Esau, forfeited his birthright. His twin but younger brother, Jacob, would produce the line from which the Christ was born through his son, Judah. The Old Testament regarded the coming Christ as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Verse three, Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron and Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab, Aminadab begot Nashon and Nashon begot Salmon. Now scanning these names, you see an oddity in this genealogy. A woman is mentioned. Ah! It, it was rare and odd in Jew, Jewish genealogies. One of four women to be mentioned by the time we are through. Tamar's husband died before there were any children born to them. Seeing that Judah was not going to insist that his other sons perform their tribal duty by getting her pregnant to continue her husband's bloodline, she disguised herself as a prostitute and enticed Judah himself to sleep with her. Perez, born from this sordid incident, is in the line of the Christ. People who are into genealogy sometimes find out things they wish they didn't know. Have you ever done that, you genealogy folks? You ever find out there's somebody that you wish you didn't know about? That's why I'm not gonna do my genealogy. I, I, I have enough problems without figuring out what was going on in Minturno, Italy before my dad came over here. It's just, it's just fraught with problems. My people, they have a history. But anyway... <laughs> That shouldn't surprise you here. That's not the case here. It should surprise you with joy that such a sordid event is in the line of the Christ. It shouts to us as sinners that he was not ashamed to be identified with us and to call us his brethren. This Jesus, this Christ, this Savior, not ashamed to be identified with you and to call you his brethren. 
Verse five, Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse. Salmon married Rahab of Jericho. You remember her, she hid the spies Joshua had sent into the city. Together with her family, she was spared when the walls came tumbling down and the city of Jericho was destroyed by the Israelites. Their son Boaz married Ruth the Moabitess who came back to Bethlehem with her mother-in-law Naomi. Their son was Obed and his son was Jesse, the father of King David. Now again, this might be disheartening for a Jew that two Gentile women, one of questionable reputation, both of questionable ethnicity, are in the line of the Christ. But it shouldn't be disheartening because the promises made to Abraham included blessings upon the Gentiles. Through Abraham, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And so this is a very unusual genealogy in the people that it picks to talk to us about but it is a genealogy that gives each and every one of us hope as sinners that we can be saved by grace through faith. In verse six, it says, Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon begot Rehoboam, and Rehoboam begot Abijah, and Abijah begot Asa. Asa begot Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat begot Joram, and Joram begot Uzziah. Uzziah begot Jotham, Jotham, Ahaz, and Ahaz, Hezekiah. Now, the Christ came through David's union with her that had been the wife of Uriah, that's Bathsheba, who David committed adultery with, and it's the Uriah that he ordered murdered. Dennis asked me backstage this morning, she goes, why do you think that they don't mention Bathsheba? And I said in my best pastoral voice, I don't know. I only answer the things I know about in the Bible, not the things I don't. But it's interesting because then it gives you an opportunity to mention Uriah and just brings up this whole incident with David. Do you know I know people, you might too, this might surprise you, I know people who don't think David is saved because he committed adultery with uh, Bathsheba and had her husband murdered. Uh, It's crazy. I don't know how anybody can really say that. I say to them, you know what? I'm pretty sure you're not saved if you can say that. And then they get mad and punch me in the face. But uh, actually, I haven't been punched in the face in a couple of weeks. But uh, uh, if you haven't figured it out yet, the Christ came to save sinners. This, this genealogy, uh, it, it, you can't get around the fact that it's filled with sinners, Obviously, all fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, not one. But it goes out of its way to find maybe the worst apples in this family tree and to put them down as the ancestors of the Jesus Christ so that we will understand that there's hope for us. Hezekiah begat Manasseh, Manasseh begot Ammon, and Ammon begot Josiah. Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. Now, you guys recognize Jeconiah, you 59 club members, because uh, we were just talking about him last week as the book of Jeremiah ended. He was the last real king of Israel before the fall to Babylon. After him was Zedekiah, but he was just an appointed governor. He was never really a king in the line of the Messiah. Make a quick mental note of Jeconiah because a curse was pronounced upon him. Very specifically, God said in Jeremiah 22 that none of his offspring would ever sit on the throne of David, period. So the question is, how can Jesus be the Christ if his line comes through Jeconiah? 
Well, the answer is forthcoming. You already know the answer because you've read ahead. But imagine you're a first century Jew and you are listening to this or you've picked something up that's talking about this and, and, and Matthew says, I'm gonna give you the genealogy of the Christ, the son of David, and then you get to Jeconiah and you think, this guy must be crazy. He must have taken too many taxes when he was a tax collector and lost his mind because we know that no one from Jeconiah's line can be king because of the curse. Well, in verse 12, after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begot Shaltiel, and Shaltiel begot Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel begot Abihud, and Abihud Eliakim, and Eliakim Azor, and Azor Zadok, Zadok Akim, Akim Elihud, Elihud Eleazar, Eleazar Mathan, and Mathan Jacob, Jacob Joseph, the husband of Mary, who was, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Now notice Matthew's careful wording that Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. And so we're on notice here that Joseph was not the natural father of Jesus. If Jesus had been the natural son of Joseph, Jeconiah's curse would have eliminated him as the Christ. But at the same time, he had to be a legal son of Joseph in order to be in the line of kings to qualify as the Christ. How was Jesus the legal but not natural son of Joseph? Well, we'll see next time we're together in Matthew. God resolved the issue through the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus was born of a virgin, born of the Holy Spirit, he was the legal son of Joseph but not the natural son of Joseph, so he could be the Christ. Now that's a wow factor if you're following this line of descent. It would blow you away. It's like finding out something amazing about your genealogy, only at times about a million. You don't always just find terrible things about your relatives. Every now and then you find out that you're related to somebody who actually did something. And this was one of those wow factors. Now do you see yourself in this genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham, let me help us see ourselves. Earlier we cited in Galatians where Paul said, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Abraham's seed is an expression that is used to describe three distinct groups in the Bible. First, there is the natural use, referring to all those who are the actual physical descendants of Abraham through his son Isaac, and then through his son Jacob to the 12 tribes. Anyone born a Jew is a seed of Abraham. Second, the expression the seed of Abraham is used to refer to saved Israelites, those descendants of Jacob's who were believers in God. Not every Jew was a believer. No one is automatically saved. They must personally believe in God as Abraham did and have it accounted to them for righteousness. And so the Jews are the seed of Abraham, but there is a spiritual seed within the physical descendants as well. And then there's a third use of the term seed of Abraham. It's used in Galatians to describe Gentiles who by believing in Jesus become a spiritual seed and inherit the promises of God made him that were unique to the Gentiles when he said all the families of the earth will be blessed. This is where people sometimes get sideways they assume that because Gentiles are called the spiritual seed of Abraham that we have taken the place of Israel and now all of God's promises that he made to Israel apply to us. That is not true. 
God has not forgotten his people Israel. He's still dealing with the physical seed of Abraham. They're there in the Middle East, are they not? They're a nation again, just as he said. And there is a spiritual seed of Abraham, saved Jews. But there are also the spiritual seed, Gentiles, who will inherit their own set of promises that are made in that Abrahamic covenant. We keep those three groups distinct and we're therefore able to understand the Bible and Bible prophecy. You see, if I have replaced a Jew, if the church has replaced Israel, and all of God's promises to Israel are now promises to me, then most of them are allegorical. Most of them are spiritual because God promised the Jews that they would live in a specific land on planet Earth and have a very definite kingdom on that Earth and that a son of David would rule from that throne. And so if God's done with Israel, then I don't know what to do with any of those unconditional promises. I, I, and I start having to think that everything is an allegory and people do that in their theologies and say, well, we're in the kingdom now. There is no real literal kingdom. The Bible never says there's gonna be an actual kingdom. We're in the kingdom now. Have you looked around lately? Have you read even the Hanford Sentinel? We are definitely not in the kingdom as promised in the Old Testament. And so keep those groups distinct. We're most definitely in this genealogy as the seed of Abraham, the spiritual seed. We also have seen a few other points of contact. You see within this genealogy the understanding that Gentiles will be blessed and included by the Christ when he mentioned Rahab and Ruth. We can identify with them as outsiders who were nevertheless saved by faith. The stories of Tamar and Bathsheba speak to us as sinners who must be saved by grace if we are to enjoy the promised blessings. In fact, as I said, many of the names we skipped are absolutely wicked individuals, yet through them came the Christ as a man to save lost men and women just like them. We are the spiritual seed of Abraham, justified by faith as he was through believing in Jesus. Hopelessly lost, born dead in trespasses and sins, God made a way of salvation. Because he became a man and died on the cross and rose from the dead, we can believe and it can be credited to us for righteousness that saves. Now Jesus Christ is also the son of David. Do you see yourself in that generation Verse 17, Matthew has been called the gospel of the king. More than the other three gospels, Matthew is all about introducing that Jesus Christ is the king of the Jews who came to establish God's kingdom on the earth. Over and over again, Matthew will refer to Jesus as the son of David. And as I mentioned earlier to the Jew, this didn't simply mean he was someone in David's line of descent. God had promised David, and this was from 2 Samuel chapter seven. He said, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, forever. And so God promised David that he would have a son who would rule on his throne forever. One unique son of David that the Jews were looking for. And so when Matthew says Jesus was the son of David, he means he is this promised son of David who would establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And so in verse 17, 
He says, so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations, and from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are 14 generations. Now, breaking the genealogy up into three portions of 14 was a memory aid for a time when people didn't have iPads. Well, they didn't. They had Android devices and no I'm just kidding but uh, it's just a memory aid 14 14 14 but why 14 well there's a lot of wild speculation and then there's this simple fact I like this in Hebrew in the Hebrew language there are no vowels the three letters that make up the name David DVD in English have a numerical value of 14 when they're added together and, and the average Jew, even the youngest Jew, would know that because they under, you don't have to be into some weird Kabbalistic numerology to understand that, that uh, letters of the Hebrew alphabet had numerical value and that David would add up to 14. Everything about this genealogy screams to Jews the son of David, the one who will reign forever as king over God's kingdom. And that's why Matthew, over and over and over again in his gospel, we will see him refer to Jesus as the son of David. There were a lot of people who descended from David. David had tons of wives and concubines and all, but Matthew says, no, this is that son of David promised him who would sit on the throne forever. The three divisions of 14 also sort of relate to the idea of a monarchy. The first 14 lead up to the kingdom under David's rule. The second group of 14 lament the failure of the kingdom after David's rule. And the third group of 14 remind us that the Christ, the anointed one, would come and reign on David's throne forever. And so again, this is all about the kingdom and the one who would establish that kingdom, the king who would come. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It helps you to understand the Passion Week, the, the uh, triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. The people were expecting the Christ. They were expecting the son of David. And when Jesus rode in on the donkey, and they had their palm branches waving. It was their way of acknowledging it. This, we believe this is the Christ, the son of David. Now they were wrong about the kind of kingdom he was offering at the time. He was offering a more spiritual kingdom because they were going to reject him. Uh, but nevertheless, this is all about the kingdom. All the names in the second division are of kings, but it ends with the captivity in Babylon with Jeconiah as the last true king of the Jews until the Christ. Is it a problem then that the Jews killed their king at his coming? Well, only in this sense, God postponed the establishing of the literal kingdom on the earth, but it's still coming as promised. In the meantime, during this postponement, Jesus gave his followers a commission to go throughout the whole earth and tell everyone, Jew and Gentile, that he is the savior of all men, especially those who believe. At any moment, the postponement might end with the resurrection and rapture of the church. While we are safe and worshiping the Lord in heaven, the seven years of the great tribulation will be unfolding upon the earth. It will be called the time of Jacob's trouble, 
meaning that it is intended to turn the hearts of Abraham's physical descendants, the Jews, back to the Christ. At his second coming, the Jews look upon him whom they pierce, the Bible says, and they believe, and all Israel will be saved. And so Jesus came offering the kingdom to the Jews. The Jews, through their leaders, rejected him as the Christ, as the son of David. And so God has postponed the establishing of that kingdom while he calls out a people from every tribe, nation, tongue, and people. We know it as the church. Then that church is gonna be removed, resurrected, and then God is gonna get back on his program with Israel and fulfill his literal, unconditional promises to the physical descendants of Abraham At the end of the tribulation, they will be the spiritual descendants of Abraham as they reach out to Christ who is returning. Then the promised kingdom will begin. And guess what? We're gonna rule with King Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6, verses one through three tells us we are gonna judge angels and the world. 2 Timothy 2.12 says, if we endure, we shall also reign with him. Revelation 3.21, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. And then Revelation 2, 26 and 27, he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels as I also have received from my father. Now, I don't know exactly what we are going to be doing in the kingdom of God on earth for a thousand years. I don't know exactly what I'm going to be doing, but there's enough information to let us know that it's a real kingdom uh, and that there will be uh, things that need to be accomplished. There'll be a righteous rule of God as Jesus Christ sits on the throne. Actually, we also believe that David the literal King David from the Old Testament, he's obviously gonna be resurrected from the dead. He will be ruling uh, as well, and we will be co-regents helping the Lord in the administration of the kingdom of heaven on earth because there'll be multitudes and multitudes and multitudes of people born during that thousand years still in their human bodies. So when the Lord comes back at the end of the great tribulation, there are people left on the earth About four-fifths of the earth's population is gonna be killed in one way or the other, but there are gonna be people left on the earth. And those people are going to go into the kingdom and begin to repopulate the earth as the Lord rejuvenates the earth. And so there will be many, many, many people uh, born into human bodies during that time. You and I will be in our resurrected, glorified bodies and we will, in some sense, help in the administration and the government of that glorious time. Tomorrow you can tell people you've discovered your genealogy, not at ancestry.com, but at jesuschrist.compassion. Be a great water cooler kind of thing, right? Is there, do anybody have a water cooler where you work? Does that happen? You know, people talk about meeting at the water cooler and I don't know that I've ever had a, we don't have a water cooler here. We have a coffee pot. <laughs> Actually, we have several. But anyway, wherever you are, you can, you, people say, hey, what'd you do over the weekend? Uh, or especially if you know people are into their genealogy, you just say, hey, I, I, I started to get into, deep into my genealogy. Really? I found out I was related. Have you ever heard of this guy, Abraham? 
Yeah, yeah, he's a pretty famous guy. Yeah, I'm a descendant of Abraham. Really, how'd that work out? And you just kind of start telling them about Jesus Christ. They say, you can be a descendant of Abraham too. All you have to do is receive Christ by grace through faith. His compassion moved him to leave heaven to come to earth as a man, the son of Abraham, the son of David. Jesus made a way for you to be the spiritual seed of Abraham and to rule with him on David's throne. I hope that you're excited about this genealogy more so than you've ever been before. It's, it's the most exciting genealogy possible. Find out all you want about your ancestors. It's fun, I know. Go as far back as you can. But in the back of your mind, remember, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them and so are you if you've received Christ as your savior, amen? Amen, let's pray together.